Straight out chaser. All right, what we have to refrain from doing right now is overreacting. The overreaction uh, we've, we've preached from the very, very beginning about uh, blocking out the outside noise, and uh, we've got to continue to do that. So we identify those problems, then we rectify those problems. That's how you get better as a football team. And I fully expect that we have the men in the locker room that's going to do that. Talking Cleveland Browns football with the best fans in all of SB Nation. Not quite normal, but we're getting there. Ready to go 60 minutes, go all the way, go toe-to-toe with them. Start grinding through it here. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. I just can't wait to put on the show. Uh, yeah, see me. From the jump, from the jump, as soon as we get out on the field, we're going 100 miles per hour. My Dogs by Nature family, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7, and you're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Ahead on Straight No Chaser, we have second punches, Bud Light showers, and we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson going 100 miles per hour in our AFC North outlook. But before we get into that, we got to get to the straight truth. The straight truth for this week is that media chases controversy. Freddie Kitchen said it. Uh, Media chases controversy. And players chase stats, all right? And both of them equal the same thing, and it equals money, all right? And and I think that's where we're at with that story, you know? That's no controversy. There's no friction. I think the statement rings truer and truer the more I think about it. Media chases controversy. And the more that I look at stories in the overarching media circuit the more I kind of see that there's this kind of bias towards controversy. I'll give you a couple of examples right now. One of them is with the OBJ interview after the football game. He spent about two and a half minutes talking to the media. And um, this is a very tough loss for players. Very disappointing for everybody all around. Especially for a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. who played his tail off. He wasn't the reason why the Browns lost Sunday. And here he is in his locker room talking to the media. So there's one piece at the end of his two-minute statement that people had begun to parse and make kind of a controversial element out of it, having OBJ kind of going after the fans. I'm going to play the clip for you right now. Can't get it back. Can't change the outcome. (laughs) So you just got to let it go. That stadium's ready for us. Uh, I mean, you know, for those fans, we, we don't want to see them leaving with nine minutes left on, you know, uh, nine minutes left in the quarter. Want to be able to stick there and fight through it. So, um, I know there's been losing around here, but that's not what we're here to do. Um, so we just got to have everybody stick with us, the fans as well, um, and this team has to come together, and, and we just got to play better. Yeah, I'm not really sure where I hear the controversy here. I hear this guy saying, hey, don't give up on us. He's thinking about these fans walking out with nine minutes left in the game. And I mean, wait, there's a myriad of reasons why that kind of stuff happens. Most of it is that you have so much expectation and hope that something's going to happen. And it's just such a disappointment. It's probably what you're looking at at nine minutes. And I mean, I can understand that response from the fans. 
at the same time, I can understand that OBJ realizes that the team has to play better as well when he doesn't want to see that happen. But I think his overarching message, it seemed like it was, hey, please don't give up on us. And Odell, man, heads up. Real Browns fans aren't anywhere near giving up on you or on this team. In the words of the great Darth Batman, we've seen worse. You know, I love listening to Beckham engage the fans in some thoughtful dialogue. And when I hear people take this story or this statement as him saying that he's going after the fans in some kind of a way, it makes me frustrated because I know that at some point, at some level, that's just going to stop the dialogue from coming. And when the press comes around, he's going to start sounding a lot more like Marshawn Lynch. And so far, the Cleveland story has had a fascinating beginning. It really has. So far, the team has been accountable for what they're doing, both when they're on and off the field. Contrast that with Titans defensive back Logan Ryan, the whole Bud Light shower story. That story is everywhere, including on Dogs by Nature on the main page. I'm going to quickly reset the story for you. After the Titans gutted a stadium full of people on a pick six, Logan Ryan thought it would be fun to jump in the stands. And when he did this, one of the Titans people in the audience gave him a hug and somebody else decided to dump a beer in that guy's face. The story probably would have passed without incident. However, Logan Ryan led a media crusade to get this fan banished indefinitely from the NFL stadiums. This story is wrong to me on so many levels. Like the nerve of this guy to go to the NFL with this complaint. The NFL should be looking at this tape for evidence of unsportsmanlike conduct. And this cat leaped in the stands of, of a group of people that have been horrified seconds ago. Of course, somebody's going to have the gumption to do something like that to him. And he should have expected it. That's not in any way condoning the action of the fan who I think crossed the line here. We all know the adage, two wrongs don't make a right. Right? Logan Ryan's not going to be held accountable for what he's done wrong here. And really, quite frankly... No Titan will be held accountable for a Sunday provocation. This whole game was full of situations where the Titans instigated, the Browns retaliated, the Titans complained, and the Browns are penalized. This whole thing with Logan Ryan is like an allegory of that situation. It always seems like the second guy is the one who gets caught. No doubt. That's always been the case. Uh, that will continue to be the case. Uh, but again, it's understanding what's going on in the moment and, uh, and refraining uh, from doing those sorts of things. Uh, that way you don't put yourself in position uh, for people to say you lost your composure. Hey, he's totally right, man. The Browns have got to do a better job of recognizing the situation that they're in and then doing better jobs of avoiding the situation in the first place by playing better. 
there's one thing you can say about Freddie Kitchens, it's that he's been a tremendous moral leader. We'll see if that level of accountability can translate on to the football field in the coming weeks. We're going to talk a little bit more about what Freddie Kitchens has to do for the Browns right after this commercial break. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Straight No Chaser. Quarterback number 19. Welcome back to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Thelonious Seven. Let's get into the greater AFC horizon. Now, we will be amiss to start this discussion without noting the work of the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, who throttled the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday by a score of 33-3. It looks like Bill Belichick is using the AFC East as a zombie division to catapult its way to the easy lane to a first round bye giving them an inside track to the big dance. Now, I think that I am amongst the 5% of Dogs by Nature fans who is still a Josh Gordon apologist. As the year goes on and Josh Gordon continues to produce in the way that he produced this last Sunday, I might end up dedicating an entire show to Josh Gordon Not only does it look like Belichick is using the AFC East as a zombie division, it looks like he's using the whole AFC as a zombie conference. Pillaging players from everyone and establishing a Franken team that continues to haunt the league. If there's any threat to what Bill Belichick is doing, you have to look first to Kansas City. I'm not really sure if... There isn't more information we need about this this team going forward. Uh, they were able to handle their business down in Jacksonville, of course. Outside of Kansas City, is there any other team outside of the AFC North that's challenging for this title? Yeah, the Los Angeles Chargers. Think you still have to include Jacksonville? I think you could probably include um, Houston in this as well, although I don't know um, how they're going to respond to that situation down in uh, New Orleans. But I think you have to start including the Titans in this discussion after what we saw in week one. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Titans' talent, and I don't know how far their system and their I don't know how far their system and their ability is going to take them this year. However, they are no joke, as they proved in week one, and I'll kind of be keeping a half eye on them looking forward but for now like i said the two people the two people we're really concerned about are the patriots and the chiefs getting into the asc north directly though let's start with the cincinnati Bengals and their surprise performance on the road in seattle they narrowly lost a game that they by all they really could have won this game 
which would have been a huge surprise given how much shade the media was throwing them going into week one. Let's hear Zach Taylor's reaction to that crucial opening day game. You know, after reviewing the tape, felt like the, the things that I probably said last night uh, don't change. Very disappointed. When you watch the tape, particularly for our defense play, the energy they played with, uh, they really gave us a chance to win that game. And you look at it offensively, we did some really good things, but ultimately probably left 15 points on the field, the way that it all turned out. And that's the difference in winning and losing on the road, especially against a good team in a tough environment that's had the success that they've had. But, um, you know, it's, it's a game that we lost, and we're going to win a lot of games in the future because of it. You didn't hear a lot from Taylor before this game, but after the way his team accounted for itself on Sunday, man, I feel like they can win some games in the AFC North. Now we'll turn our attention to Pittsburgh and their dismal showing on Sunday night. Mike Tomlin addressed the state of the team in the media this week. There, there will be no division. Um, in this group. Um, this is how we're wired. This is what we put out there. Um, we're foaming at the mouth for our next opportunity. We better be. That next opportunity comes at Ketchup Field Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to have a closer look at that game on the Sunday Morning Post. But suffice it to say, Pittsburgh is in a similar situation to us in Cleveland trying to rebound from a disappointing week one. Now it's time for us to talk about the situation over in the greater Chesapeake region. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, there's something about the quality of his tone and his discussions with the media. You're just going to have to listen for yourself. Oh, that's pretty dope. Um, I, I owe that all to my team. You know, um, the whole offense, um, the special teams, and defense, they kept putting us out there on the field. So, hats off to the whole team. Come back, um, grind it out, um, practice, get ready for Arizona, um, try to put on the show for Sunday. Just go through my reads. If the first guy's not there, go to the second. second guy not there, go to my third guy. If he's not there, do what I do. You know, I had a whole year um, to get my guys, get chemistry down, pack, um, study a lot. I'm very hard on throwing the ball, you know, with it, throw my guys open, um, hitting them a stride so they can just go get extra yards. So definitely. I don't care. Like, I really don't. Like, when they talk, I really don't pay them no mind. So, you know, I just do my talking on the field. Just move on, next play. Keep doing the weekend, week out. You know, just playing ball, winning games, scoring touchdowns. This is really a different dude. He's really not like anybody we've seen in the position, and he's going to be coming to town. I never wanted to believe that Lamar Jackson could reach his ceiling in the NFL. I mean, it would take a team doing exactly what the team in the Chesapeake region has done. And I think he's birthed something that really could be a menace for quite some time. wanted to finish this episode of Straight No Chaser talking about the Browns. Given my perspective, the team from Dorsey's point of view. 
want to take a look at what the coaches have done and how the team is performing through one game, which is basically one sixteenth of the entire puzzle. I think the most important aspect um, of this assessment is going to be what we've seen on the field. And the best way and the most meaningful way of measuring that is by looking at the scoreboard. If you look at the scoreboard and look at the offense, the plus minus for the offense on this game was a negative nine. Negative nine. Yeah, it's literally impossible to win a football game in the NFL when your offense produces negative nine points. On the day, the defense uh, attributed for negative 18 points production, which is not entirely great. Somewhere in the middle, maybe. Also, however, special teams I have as attributing for negative three points. I don't know. As a GM, I feel like you've, you don't feel too comfortable about the distribution of blame for this game. The offensive line failures, the offensive line depth, of course, kind of a freaky, flukish situation. Still is something that I feel like Hugh Dor Hugh. <laughs> Still is something I feel like John Dorsey is going to have to address in the near future. Additionally, the question about kicker comes up again as Austin Siebert goes out and misses his first extra point. We're still pulling for Austin Siebert. I think about the return game and I think about the fact that Jarvis Landry had to come in and field punts at the end. And I felt like he did an admirable job in this role. And while I don't want to get too... Yeah. I kind of feel like, I kind of wonder if it might make sense for the Browns to go out and bring in a guy like Sheehy Giuseppe. And I don't know if I want to start to beat the drum about something like this. But if you're going to have a guy like Dontrell Hilliard misfield a punt like this, you might as well get Sheehy Giuseppe. At least have that guy there. Let that guy spend 1,000 hours a week training on making sure he does everything perfect and let him come in and run with reckless abandon all over the field. Like This is the kind of thing that the Browns should be doing. This is the kind of thing that John Dorsey should be considering because it's like the other decisions that he's making is almost as if he's punting on the chances of the Browns turning one back. I mean, just having a guy back there that's a threat, a threat to scare somebody can cause kicking teams, people to make a mistake. In the return game, I feel like the Browns kind of lack a sense of identity and I still feel like they're learning who they are on offense. And you can see when they lose a few pieces here or there, things fall apart to a team that don't, doesn't really know who it is or exactly how it's going to win football games. 
Now, as far as the defense goes, I feel like the defensive performance on the whole was okay. I feel like the crackback block play, it seems like the NFL has gone back and said that the crackback block was correctly called or should have been correctly called in the earlier play and not the later play, the one that the Browns were torched on. Yeah, they said that that one was correctly called, but the other one wasn't. So in the end, 18 points for a game's work isn't unheard of. It would have been possible for the team to win with that level of production from the defense. Hopefully in the next week, I feel like the problem with the defense was a little bit on Steve Wilkes' level. I feel like he doesn't, like, I, he's still learning who he really is and how he wants to call games. And I feel like when he was trying to assert his level of aggress- aggressiveness or assertive identity onto what the defense was, that's when I felt like the team became vulnerable to getting gashed. Like, I felt like that's exactly what happened on the big play felt like he had a tendency to try to dictate the tempo too much rather than to be able to react to what the other team is doing. I know it's not his nature to do this, as he said before. I just feel like a good strategy isn't one that doesn't have the ability to adjust to a myriad of situations. And I hope that as he moves forward, he's able to allow his players the freedom, the flexibility to do what they need to do. It's as good a time as any to get into the top five players on offense and defense. And since we're already on the defense, we might as well start there, right? So for me at one, there's no change. It was Miles Garrett, unsurprisingly. But two through five completely changed from last week's show. Speaking of show, at number two, I had Joe Schobert. Three, I had Demarius Randall. Four, Kirko, and at five, I had Larry Ogunjobi. Olivier Vernon fell out of the top five. We'll see if he rebounds as he heads back to a familiar place for game two. Moving to the offense, number one, it's hardly a question. It's obviously Baker Mayfield. Number two, A little bit of a change in this week's one. We have Odell Beckham, followed by Jarvis Landry, who jumps into the top five. Place number four is Joel Batonio, and at five, I have Nick Chubb. I didn't feel as as though Nick Chubb did anything to so far slide down as much as I was impressed with the effort and with the energy and attitude of Jarvis Landry. And I felt like Odell Beckham seemed almost unguardable in some way. I don't feel like the team utilized Chubb enough, so it's very possible that if they use him the way that they were supposed to use him, maybe wouldn't be thinking so much about the other guys because it wouldn't be such a big deal. But in any case, Joel Batonio moves up to number four because he's the only one of the offensive linemen who did anything uh, above replacement players' work this last game. Okay, it's about time to wrap this episode up. Thanks for taking time to make Straight No Chaser a part of your day. Gonna be on the threads and in the chow. I'm also on Twitter at Thelonious72. Guys, enjoy your weekend. 
and take care. I'm Thelonious7. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by